Hello everyone, Al from Point of Insanity Game Studio, back with another episode of Geekery in General, and going to be finishing up our tour of the Outer Planes as presented in AD&D's Ma- First Edition's Manual of the Planes, and uh, just got three more realms left. Now, in the last episode, we talked about Arcadia. So, this is the realm on the Great Wheel that is situated between the Seven Heavens and Nirvana. Well, on the other side, we've got Acheron. And this is a, the realm that is located between Nirvana and the Nine Hells. So first, let's take a little bit of a look at the mythology. Now, the name Acheron means River of Woe. And it is actually a real river in Greece. It is also the name of a Greek river god. Now, according to Greek mythology, it was said that this god sided with the Titans during the war between the Olympians and the Titans. So after the war was done and the Olympians had won, Zeus punished him by turning him into a river. And it has been associated with the underworld, as it was believed to be one of the rivers circling Hades. It was said it flowed in the opposite direction that the river Oceanus did. Some Greek plays, though, describe Acheron as a swamp instead of a river. And there were also several lakes that were said to have been connected to Acheron. Now, this was a river that Charon, or Charon, would uh, ferry souls across. And Dante, when he wrote the Inferno, he borrowed Acheron, and he also described it as a river that Charon would hang out at to ferry souls so they could go to their place of punishment. However, it's not all associated with gloom and doom. According to a 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia called the Suda, it was a place of healing that could actually wash away sins. So in just a moment, we're going to talk about how Acheron was pictured in Dungeons & Dragons. But first, uh, just a quick announcement. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, or or just horrifically bad puns, we've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. And we're back. So on to how Acheron is pictured in Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition Manual of the Plains. As I mentioned before, it is between the Nine Hells and Nirvana. So we can see this as a plane being either lawful evil with neutral tendencies or lawful neutral with evil tendencies. It is described as being a plane where the goal is ultimate organization, 
but advancing the cause of evil is secondary. So I guess you could see this as a good place for, if we're taking a look at the lawful neutral with evil tendencies side, where again they believe in hierarchy and well-organized systems of uh, government or bureaucracy, but it, while those those laws and that that government and that bureaucracy might be heavy-handed, it's more doing evil as a secondary uh, feature. It's not its primary goal. I guess I could also see this as more of a watered-down version of of lawful evil, where again you definitely have a goal to you're while well, you're not really benevolent, but you're definitely not entirely as malevolent as true lawful evil would be. Now, as with Arcadia, they really don't talk too much about Acheron. They they don't really give too much detail. But I think there are still some good possibilities for how to use it in your campaign here. And again, like Acheron, I, I wonder if when they were writing Manual of the Plains, if Acheron was you know, one of the last planes that they wrote, or it's possible that maybe they just, again, were running out of time, they had a deadline to meet, and they didn't get a chance to really uh, flesh it out as much as they would have liked. So it is described as being a realm consisting of huge blocks the size of a country that drift around. However, when they collide, there are no tremors. Now, unlike Arcadia, though, each of the four levels or layers are given a name and they are fleshed out in more detail than the realms of Arcadia were. Now, the first is Avalis, and it's known as the Battle Plains. It is described as being the most populated layer. The ground here is black and as hard as metal. It is said that armies come here to fight each other. Some of these armies are native to Acheron, while others are uh, invaders from other plains. Now, the River Styx does run through this layer, and that does make it possible for Karen to ferry a party of adventurers to some points in this plain. Now, the next layer is called Thulndin, and here the blocks are described as being hollow marked with holes and pits. And as they describe it in Manual of the Plains, venturing into one of these blocks is like entering a Titan's toy box. There are said to be various devices scattered around this plane, though most have either turned to stone or become inoperative. These devices are said to be the creations of either magic or science. The third level is Tintibus, Tintulibus, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but the blocks here are not just cubes, but can actually take other shapes as well. So the way they were describing it, I guess the way I would think of it, it's like, imagine if you were to uh, throw your dice bag into outer space, and you had like all these D4s and D20s and D12s and such floating around. Well, that's kind of what this plane is like. And this one is described as having no native life. So it's said to draw people here who are engaged in magical research. 
Next is Ocanthus. And these blocks are said to be razor thin. It's a dangerous layer to explore because as the blocks are flying around, there's a possibility of getting struck with one and taking a lot of damage. But hey, if a huge razor-thin block of material the size of a country were to hit me, yeah, that would sting a little bit. The spirit armies that call this plane home are said to be comprised of the souls of those who died in war after losing sight of the objective. So, war became the only thing for them. There was no longer a point. So, these spirits will form large armies for the purpose of attacking and conquering other legions. Souls slain in battle here, though, reform in 24 hours. So, a soul here will essentially find itself fighting in a never-ending war. So I guess depending on your outlook and your uh, your beliefs, that could either be extreme torment or that could possibly even be your definition of paradise. I guess in a way it kind of reminds me of, uh, if you remember the Cenobites from the Hellraiser movies. As Pinhead said in the first one, they I think it was Pinhead, they, he described them as angels to some, demons to others. So... I guess that's why I would see about this plane. Some people might consider it heaven, others might consider it hell. Now, they put most of the orcish deities in here, and perhaps the reason for that is because it seems that orcs are always, at least in most fantasy settings, are constantly engaged in this never-ending battle, and some might say that they're almost engaged in a never-ending losing battle. The only historical deity that they really put here is Li Kung. And this is a Chinese god, a Taoist deity, who's also known as the Duke of Thunder. He carries a hammer, a drum, and a chisel. He started out as a mortal, but he found a peach tree from heaven. He took a bite of one of the peaches and was transformed into a god. It is said that he has claws, bat wings, a bird beak, and a blue face. He was a god of punishment and revenge, as well as a god of thunder. And he punished people who would use the teachings of their religion, Taoism, to harm others. And it was said that people who would honor him in the hopes that he would take revenge upon their enemies for them. Now, I think he fits here because, well, Acheron is a plane of endless war. And I think maybe it's intended to serve as a warning as what happens when you use violence as a mean to accomplish all ends. And the desire for revenge can have a similar effect. It causes you to lose sight of everything else where the only thing you're focused on is getting revenge. So perhaps that's fitting that he's here. Now, as far as how you might use it in your campaign, honestly, I think the second layer, uh, Thuladin, sounds like it probably would be the uh, have the most potential. And that's because, as we said before, these blocks here are hollow, and it's like entering a Titan's toy box. And now they do mention in Manual of the Plains that after a while, any magical devices here 
do have the potential to become inoperative and turn to stone. But there's always a chance while you're searching that eventually you might find an actual useful magical item. So I could see this having some interesting potential for your campaign. Maybe there's a powerful artifact that was lost and maybe through divination or some other means you find out that it ended up here. So you'd have to try to find a block and then go into one of these, you know, down into the block to try to, you know, find the the item in this huge cave. But what would make it challenging, it's said that warriors from the first level often visit this layer because they're hoping to find some magic item or device here that can help them in their war effort. Now the third layer being described as a place where there's people who go here to conduct magical research, that could have some interesting potential as well. For example, maybe you might have a, an evil wizard in your game or your campaign, and he might conduct research on this plane. So as a final battle, your characters have to go to Acheron and find him on this this plane among all these floating uh, shapes and try to find a way to stop him and maybe destroy or perhaps even steal his magical research. And if you're playing an all-evil campaign, then maybe your your mentor or your uh, you know your benefactor might have a, a layer here where he's conducting his research and he might send the players out to uh, conduct various uh, tasks for him to help him in his his research. Well, that's about all I can really think of for Acheron, and I do apologize as this was a, a fairly short episode, at least as far as my uh, episodes on the manual, the planes have gone, and uh, again, a lot of it is just at this point, there's some of the these last few planes that I'm going to cover, they didn't have a lot of detail put into them, but I hope you found uh, the interesting at least. And hey, maybe some of the ideas that I brought up, maybe you'll be able to use them in your campaign. So with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon. Whatever it is, wherever you are. And happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network, or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com, and we'll set something up.